Welcome to this special edition of CoinGeek Conversations. Special because I'm joined by Dr. Craig Wright, the chief scientist of Enchain, and as Satoshi Nakamoto, the inventor of Bitcoin. Craig, thank you very much for joining me today. You're welcome, Charles. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. Well, perhaps we could start by the sort of topical news of the day, which is the extraordinary rise and fall in the price of both BTC, Bitcoin, and BSV over the last couple of weeks. I mean, it's gone up by 30 or 40% and then down again uh, in the last fortnight. What, what do you make of all that? Uh, tether manipulation. I mean, this is purely manipulation. There's no liquidity in the markets. Um, so it becomes incredibly easy to manipulate. Now, people talk about um, like gold and the markets for gold, but um, there would have to be real cash, not tether printing, of something like uh, 10 to 15,000 times the amount of inflow to move gold that much. So to have that liquidity uh, in, in sort of level affected in gold would mean uh, basically the entire crypto industry uh, multiplied by about 15 would need to make uh, purchases. So effectively what we have is a very small market and um, it's easy to be manipulated, especially with uh, sort of fraudulent systems like Tether. So are we looking at sort of a, almost a conspiracy of people getting together and saying, right, we're all going to buy tomorrow and raise the price and then we'll get out when, it, when it's at the top? Oh, definitely. It's um, completely manipulated on this. You see all these rises happening with uh, fake tether inputs, not where there's more money going into tether. There's no indication of inflow of, of real capital. There is basically a printing press being run um, to manipulate. I mean, if you consider how easy it is to set up a trust account, such as like a solicitor's trust account, accountant's trust account. You could have a formal solicitor's trust account used for the management of money in the um, Tether Hotel California scenario, uh, where the money is definitively there earning interest. If that was real, the seniorage just on the interest alone would uh, pay for bills and everything like that for, for a company like Tether to, to continue. I mean, um, in the so-called purported amounts that they have, it's uh, potentially in billions a year just in, in interest as seniorage. So the fact that it's not demonstrably that tells you that they haven't actually got that money. Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, it's more than that. If you read their, their conditions, etc. I mean, one, they've had seizures and whatever else, and they haven't uh, removed those coins. Um, so that's a bit fishy in itself. Uh, the sort of use of uh, attestation reports rather than audits, they're a big difference. An attestation is not worth um, some sort of about used toilet paper. Right, sure. I mean, in one of your recent blogs, you've written about the, uh, the, the fifth money laundering directive that the mm. EU is introducing. Um, uh, not the US, that's Europe and uh, the UK. Yes, but... Presumably, that kind of regulation will ha have an effect eventually around the world, don't you think? Oh, definitely. 
Um, the US are also tightening up their rules, but the um, sort of European and British money laundering directives, the British one, they've decided to what they call gold plate it and make it even more um, sort of in depth. Um, these rules kick off in about a week. So there's not a lot of time. So people are sitting there going, this doesn't apply. But um, uh, the reality is every exchange is going to be part of it. All this, it's DeFi, it's uh, decentralized exchanges, is complete and utter BS. Uh, I keep pointing out in 1994, there was an article called Wild uh, Wild, Wild Web uh, that pointed out uh, token sales and uh, all of these uh, sort of systems that popped up. And it's no different now. When this uh, directive comes in, is it, does it apply to where the customers are based or where the business is based? Uh, both, actually. So if uh, I'm a customer in the UK using an exchange based somewhere else, uh, it would still apply to me? That's correct. Yeah. yeah, yes. yeah. Um, and it will also apply if it's routed through the UK. Um, so if there are transmission backups, etc. Uh, so if you're using uh, an Irish um, sort of server farm, which are quite common for a lot of people using Amazon and others, uh, it would apply to you as well. This kind of thing is is something you welcome, isn't it? This is this is the direction you think we should be going in. Uh, yes, I, I've always said that Bitcoin. Um, is not designed to be like the typical anarchist system. Uh, there's traceability within Bitcoin. You can't actually get rid of traceability, and it can't be what people term a cryptocurrency. If it was a cryptocurrency, it would be completely anonymous, unable to be traced. So you can't get rid of that in Bitcoin. Bitcoin's designed so that it bypasses the people to break that part of the system. Right. Um You've also been writing um, topically about the pandemic um, mm -hmm. and um, you're, uh, you're basically making the case against lockdowns and, and how Sweden had it right. Um, correct. The long-term effect economically needs to be addressed. So we're doing an experiment right now. So at one point in Europe, 70% of the population died of Black Plague yet they still had trade, or people would have died. In um, 2008, there was a massive flu, global one. Um, well over a million people died, etc. And we don't even remember it. There were bigger flus in the 60s, and um, the entire death um, sort of rate that has occurred um, from COVID happened daily during the uh, one part of the um, uh, Spanish flu. But those are all terrible things, and it would be great if we didn't have to have them happen again, I guess. But this doesn't stop them happening. Um, I mean, effectively, all this um, trust the scientists and whatever else. Uh, I've studied epidemiology, I've studied all this other stuff. This is complete BS. So, I mean, we have people uh, doing theatre, effectively. We have the concept of masks that don't make a difference. We have um, all the other isolation aspects that don't make a difference. Um, but how do you know they don't make a difference? Oh, you can test statistically. And if you actually look at the uh, 
the different results. There is um, even something as simple as a uh, two-tailed t-test against the death rates from 27, uh, 17, 18, 19, 20. What you find is there is no significant difference um, at even an alpha equals 10%, ridiculously large uh, level of error. So if you look at this and you sit there and go, there are no differences. The differences when you compare the global death rates in any country, uh, everything else has gone down equal to the number of COVID deaths. So, uh, and people ignore the fact that if you take the fact that uh, in the UK, 15.2% of males over the age of 85 die every year. So in a two-year period, when you multiply that out, a little over 25% of males who were alive in year one uh, after a second year will be dead. That's just age. So you take that comparison, you look at the number of people over 85 who are dying, and they're exactly the same, significant uh, to any level you can want to measure. So what we have is less flus being recorded, less other things being recorded, um, but they're put down as COVID-related deaths. Now, the real problem here is education and the economy. Now, the sort of dearth of uh, trade and whatever else will actually probably make three to four hundred times the death rate of COVID over the next 20 years. If you look at the people in Sri Lanka who are not getting fed, the increases in poverty in, in um, African countries, the increases in poverty in um, Bangladesh, etc., what we're seeing is individuals who now are being marginalized and pushed into poverty. For the first time in a long time, the, the world's been moving away from poverty for the last 20 years significantly until COVID. So we have a scenario where we are put, and every person you push into poverty increases the global death rate. So this is not because of disease. This is because of starvation and hunger and resource needs. And when you increase resource needs and when you put people in hunger, you increase violence and war. So what we're doing is creating a world that in the future is going to be fractionalized, uh, factionized, and more dangerous. That's the result. What would your policy be? Just don't take any precautions. Oh, no. Um, interestingly, here in the UK, the, the uh, same money that we've done could have paid every person over the age of 70 £115,000 a year that could have been used for personal care. So we could have hired two and a half nurses uh, and a doctor visit for every person full-time over the age of 70 for what we've spent. Now, only people at that age are, are at risk. Getting back to the money question, um, many governments have been spending more money than they have during this period. Mm. And under Bitcoin, that would be impossible, I think. No, no I mean, that's wrong. Um, the difference is you would know about it sooner. So people spent too much money under the gold standard as well. You can issue bonds and loans and everything like that. So people have this false notion that uh, it's the amount of cash you have. It's not. Um, banks can always print money. So even with a Bitcoin-based system, governments can still do all this. 
The difference, like a gold standard, is you have to be held to account eventually. That's the distinction. So after World War One and after World War Two, the British government had to start repaying a lot of the debts that they owed. And this is where the devaluation of the pound started. But how would that be different? Supposing instead of the pound, we had Bitcoin mm -hmm. uh, and the pandemic came along and the government wanted to spend a lot more money than it had. Um, it would just borrow in the same way. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Um, the difference is you would now have, like gold, a measurable sort of outcome about which governments are doing what. Right now, um, there are, I mean, estimates ranging from $1 to $20 trillion worth of U.S. dollars that are unaccounted for uh, from the U.S. Um, that would no longer be the issue. People don't even know how much government debt there is. It's all estimates. Right. How has how's all this over the last year almost affected you and what, you're, what you've been able to do or wanted to do? I shouldn't really complain. Um, as I said, I've, I have Asperger's, so and I'm stuck with my family and whatever else, so it's perfect for me. I don't go out and meet people as much, which is perfect. Um, all my Zoom calls and everything like that are uh, fine. I don't mind. Um, I don't, I'm not put in crowds or anything that I don't like. So, I mean, that's good. Do you encourage your family to be careful about avoiding getting it or are you sort of... oh, no i had it months ago oh really uh, yeah it was terrible for a day <laughs> <laughs> it's been great in some ways in that um, um all universities are now online by distance so um, i mean uh, for instance I, I had to actually physically um, try and find time to attend at least some classes in um, the US because I'm doing some courses in Harvard. And um, I wasn't able, you know, I didn't know when I'd be able to do that and I'd have to keep putting my degree off or doing it slower or whatever else until now where um, all I need to do, I mean, I've had ridiculous times like um, last year at the end of the year, my, my classes were up until 1 a.m. in the morning because American time, but um, uh, I don't really mind. It's actually, I'm, I'm there uh, on their books as physically attending uh, in, um, in right. the UK. <laughs> well, I, I was going to ask you about this because last time we spoke to you, you actually said that you were doing 25 simultaneous degrees. Now, how can that be possible? Uh, well, not anymore because I've finished some. Oh. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. Supposing you're only doing half of that. How is that possible? Um, all different topics, so I don't overlap. I but mean, I mean, what no, about the time? What about your own time? I mean, how can that work? Um, well, I read very fast. I remember um, the. I mean, I may not be good with people, but I'm good with knowledge. Um, so uh, let's see. I read around twenty four hundred books last year. Twenty four hundred. I mean, so that's you know, like what ten a day or. Uh, about eight. No, it's eight, about eight. Eight a day. Sorry, my, my mental arithmetic is not... Some books are smaller than others. Okay, so, so eight a day average, that is still uh, a lot when you've got to do other things as well. Yeah, I, uh, my statistics from Grammarly so, uh, demonstrate I wrote uh, just under three million words. Last, in, in Last year. Yeah, uh, actually, I was looking at this... Uh, well, February, so. well, I was actually going to accuse you of slacking a bit because um, 
in I've looked at your blog output in 2019 you had 124 blogs posted um, and in 2020 I was down to 46 um, so uh, I've been popping papers up on uh, on uh, SSRN and also I've published a few things um, but not everyone reads all my stuff in, in every circle well uh, they haven't got time instance, well that too um, <laughs> but uh, I've published a paper recently on um, Shakespearean sonnets um, and I don't think anyone in cryptocurrency even knows that exists uh, I mean, my argument against uh, some of it is that the so-called um, sonnets in praise of a young man were not in praise of a young man. They were actually in praise of Queen Elizabeth. Um, when you look at um, um, sort of doing odes to roses and whatever else, you have to remember the historical aspect. So remember that the Lancaster and um, York houses were the red and white roses who formed uh, after the war, the Tudor. Um, so uh, when he's talking about the lily, uh, Queen Elizabeth I was known as the white lily. She was the white virgin, etc. Um, so there's, there's lots of little references there. And, so is, that, um, is this part of an English literature course you're doing? Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a, a master's in um, English literature at the moment. And is that sort of something new for you, or have you always read you know, classic literature. Oh, I always read uh, classic literature. I think it's incredibly important. Um, it, it's one of the aspects of how we learn. Um, I mean, um, uh, Jack Coe and, and Terry Pratchett uh, termed humanity uh, home, uh, sort of pans and hands, or the storytelling chimp. Right. Well, who's your, who are your favourite sort of classic English literature novelists? Uh, my my first is actually not English. It's probably the um, the Russian. So I quite like I always like Dostoevsky, um, but a um, uh, number of other authors too, um, uh, philosophical type ones like Montesquieu, Locke, etc. Uh, not just the the current like what everyone sees as as their main points, but some of the other things. Um, but uh, I mean, it's it's actually interesting even to read um, uh, some of the American ones like Poe. Uh, not just the horror, but I mean, most people don't realise that Poe um, actually started detective fiction. Oh, really? Related to sort of the question of uh, your interest, a wide interest. I came across something you published last year, Sisyphus Impenitent. Now, that is a really interesting piece that you've put up on SSRN, published last year, but actually written in 2008. And it's almost a poetic sort of essay, I would say. It is, yes. It was actually a self-reflected piece um, that I was doing from... Uh, I mean, most of these things happen because of courses I do. Uh, generally, the the way I focus myself on anything I'm uh, I'm doing is I take a course. But it was it was very personal because you're talking about the sort of roles, the trilogy of roles, as you put it, mm -hmm. between warrior, father, and husband. As the masculine, yes, not that that seems to be popular anymore. 
we don't like to differentiate the the difference between male and female gender. Right. But you, you sort of thought you could get two out of three, which was warrior and husband, but you were blaming yourself on the father side of things. Yeah, I think it's difficult to ever um, do all three simultaneously. Uh, I mean, I've known a lot of people um, in a lot of different areas, and, and I don't think it's really possible to simultaneously do all three. So you, you aim for the best, and, and there's always some sacrifice in life. I mean, the interesting thing about that, I saw that it was written on the very day before you published the white paper. Is that is there a significance there? Uh, I was contemplating a lot of things at the time. So uh, I'd already written the white paper, but you know, when I released and distributed it, you mean. Uh, so I'd just come back from um, a trip over to see Microsoft, uh, who had interviewed me, actually. I'd, I'd gone for a role in um, uh, the Bing and Click Fraud team. And um, uh, that was actually going really, really well until the whole financial crisis ended up with a, um, uh, a freezing order on hiring. Um, so uh, what happened there was they uh, stopped all hiring, and, um, then came back to me in, like two years later, uh, which was too late. I mean, I had a whole lot of ideas which Bitcoin would have been part of. Was this written it, sort of when you were disappointed in hearing that that wasn't going ahead? No, I actually still thought that was going ahead, but it was, do I make that change? Do I um, change my country, leave everything I'm doing? Um, I mean, if I uh, allow Microsoft um, to basically run this, it should be successful, but what will that mean to me? Um, I mean, it, it was a self-reflective period in life. Would Bitcoin have been sort of rolled into Microsoft if you joined Microsoft? <laughs> yes, it would have. Um, so I had the concept of not the ad-based internet, and I thought uh, rather than the way Google's doing things, um, if they could influence micropayments and, and have all this run that way, that would actually um, be a far more effective uh, methodology. Um, and people should know that um, uh, eCash was actually offered um, for sale to Microsoft, but Shaw wanted way too much money. Instead of taking uh, options and uh, money to work there and whatever else, Shaw wanted something like 30% of Microsoft to give them eCash. I mean, which, if they just laughed at him. But so, look, I mean, looking back on that now, do you see the fact that Bitcoin didn't get absorbed into Microsoft as a bit of a blessing in disguise? Um, yes, I see it as, um, uh, I mean, it's an easy life versus um, something better but more challenging. So it's always, again, the distinction and uh, sort of sacrifice of one versus another item in what can be your existence. And in this, um, I would have been paid very well. I would have had options. Um, in particular, as things expanded, I would have uh, 
gone up with the company. I would have had everything I needed to do all my research thrown at me. So, um, just going back to you know your mention of the the internet and your ideas about revolutionising the internet. I see Tim Berners Lee is mm. saying things that somehow have echoes of what you say about trying to restore the internet uh, to the way that he originally envisaged it. And he's got these yeah. personal, I think they're called personal identity pods or something where everybody's going to collect up their own data in some system that he wants to promote. I mean, do you mm. feel a sort of fellow feeling for him, for him in, in that situation? Not really, no, because Tim's still stuck with a major flaw, which is socialism. Tim wants equality and equal, um, equal access and everything for free, and that's completely yes. I mean, the reality is humans are hierarchical in nature. We're not going to ever be happy unless we have people to compete with, to fight with, to argue with, to do things with and be different from. Nobody will ever have human dignity unless we have a way of, of striving and being and differentiating ourselves. And that's what people don't seem to understand. Um, if you're just handed something, there's no dignity in it. Right, but he's actually saying that you're going to have control over your own personal data and that you will decide who you hand it to. Yeah, but without cost. So you get to do whatever you want and, and the state wouldn't it, wouldn't it involve Wouldn't it involve allowing you to... Um, to dish it out to people for rewards? Um, if Tim's creating it, no. <laughs> if Tim's creating it, um, Stalin will be more capitalist. Right. I've never heard Tim Berners-Lee talk about socialism or anything, but I mean, I, I can sort no, of see... No, most of them don't, but it is. I mean, um, if you look at the, the things by, by Tim, he's sitting there going, big bad companies... Well, big bad companies isn't the problem. The advertising-based model is the problem. There's a distinction. Having companies, but having actually use you uh, as sort of a customer and not the product. Right. Well, let's just end by looking ahead to this year. What are your uh, prospects for 2021? Oh. Um, a certain amount of time in, in court on the schedule, I think? Yes, there's, there's some of that. Um, um, some things that are coming up that I, I can't talk about yet, but um, lots of those, lots of uh, bits and pieces that uh, people will know about very soon that is still rather hidden. Um, all of which should have happened last year, but uh, what can we say? Everything's slow. I mean, um, in theory... Uh, uh, most of my cases should have been heard by August last year, but all put off because of COVID. Right. Thank you so much, Craig. It's been really, really You're interesting. Welcome. Thanks a lot. And have a happy 2021. You too. Thank you. Hopefully we'll be able to see each other in person one of these that days. That would be very nice. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Bye now. Bye. Thanks very much to Craig Wright. And if you'd like to read some of those three million words that he wrote last year, there are links to some of the articles we talked about in the podcast in the show notes. Next week, 
we're going back to the future as Natalie Mason meets Transmira founder Robert Rice to talk about putting augmented and virtual reality on the blockchain. So please join Natalie for that next week. It would be great if you wouldn't mind liking or sharing the podcast. But thanks very much for listening this week. And from me, Charles Miller, goodbye.